I've been here, but not, you know, here. So, But we're going to continue looking at the triune God and his power this morning from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. The power is inside you. The power is inside you. Find your inner peace. These are the wise words of Master Wu to Lloyd in the timeless classic, the Lego Ninjago movie. This is for my kids, and they're not even here this morning. So uh, Lloyd and his friends, if you've seen the movie, the movie is fantastic. It's hilarious. Uh, So get the Lego Ninjago movie. But Lloyd and his friends are searching for the ultimate, ultimate weapon to defeat Lord Garmadon, and they discover the ultimate, ultimate weapon is a chest full of Lego pieces that are seemingly worthless. Um, and then they immediately lose this chest to Lord Garmadon, and so they are distraught and certain of death. And Lloyd remembers the words of Master Wu and unleashes the spinjitsu magic powers of his friends, uh, which they had inside them all along. The power is inside you. Today, I want you to find your inner peace and know that the power is inside you. Now, before you run me out of the church for being a heretic and teaching some sort of modern self-help or something along those lines, you got to hear me out for a moment, all right? We're going to get to this place in which we're going to see that the power of God is in us. From this text this morning, I want us to see that the power of God for the mission of God is the people of God knowing the love of God by the Spirit of God. The power of God for the mission of God is the people of God knowing the love of God by the Spirit of God. That's what we're going to see this morning as we see in this sort of summary passage that Paul has in praying for the Ephesians. All right, so starting in verse 14. When I think of all this, now remember, Paul had said, when I think of all this in 3.1, and like Paul, uh, when he gets excited about a topic, he just kind of just run on sentence, I'm just going to go after this. I don't know anything like that personally, so, you know, I I can't relate at all, but, you know, uh, he says, when I think of all this, and then he goes on to this long tangent, and then he comes back to this, when I think of all this. So this, all this that he's referring to is all that he's already written. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So he starts this with, when I think of all of this, 
Again, hearkening back to all that he has written already. What is this all of this that he has already written? Well, so far in the book of Ephesians, we have looked at the the nature of God as triune. That God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that Paul is writing throughout this book, emphasizing the way in which the Father is at work, the Son is at work, and the Spirit is at work. We've spoken of the love of God. Um, So we... Oh, sorry. Yes, sorry, this relates to the Trinity. Hang on, (laughs) I back up. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. All right, so we, we see already God the Father at work and God the Son at work in the very first six verses. This is Ephesians 1, 6, that God is at work. We spoke of the love of God in which Paul says things like, uh, it is the great pleasure of the Lord to, to, free, or to uh, buy us our freedom with the blood of Jesus and forgive our sins. He has showered his kindness on us. He has showered his kindness on us. So Paul has spoken of the love of God. He has spoken of the glory of God. That God in his majesty in glory has been at work and he wants them to see, have the eyes of their hearts open to see the glory of God. And he has spoken of the grace of God. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Ephesians 2.8. The grace of God for us. And the last two weeks, we've been looking at what does this grace do? Well, it creates a family of God, and that was always the plan of God. The family of God. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups, Jew and Gentile, to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. We've seen throughout this Paul brings it up in Ephesians 1, and it kind of weaves itself throughout this, that God is bringing together Jew and Gentile. That God is bringing together a multi-ethnic, multicultural people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. And part of the grace of God in the gospel is bringing together that family. Right? Throughout the whole of the scriptures, this has been the plan of God. We saw that in uh, Ephesians 3.6. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are a part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. When when Paul uses language like promise and God's plan, he's saying throughout all of the Old Testament, you can see this reality. He calls it a mystery that was hidden for ages, but now has been revealed. And this mystery is that God is going to bring together Jew and Gentile into one body, one family. This is the mission that God has had since the very beginning. We see this so early on in the scriptures that right after God creates all of the nations, right, in, the, in Genesis chapter 11, in the story of the Tower of Babel, in which God creates all of these new languages and people groups, right, that are scattered around the globe. Immediately after that, what's the next story? The calling of Abraham. And what does he say to Abraham? You're going to be the father of many nations. And through you, I'm going to bless all those nations that were just created. They're coming into the family. That's the plan. 
We are going to break down all of that hostility and reconcile people to God and to each other in this new family, Jew and Gentile together, all for the glory of God. This is big, guys. This is the whole of the mission of God, right? And the newness of the new covenant is the Jew and Gentile coming together in the family of God. That's the newness of the new covenant, right? That's the thing that Paul is emphasizing throughout this, that we are coming together into God's family. This is the plan. It's the mission, and there's nothing else. And it's glorious. The multi-ethnic people of God, welcomed by the grace of God into the family of God to join in the glory and love of the triune God. That's what Paul means when he says, when I think of all this, I pray. When I think of all this, I pray. But the, the reality is, how is this going to get accomplished? Because it sounds great to say that the mission of God is that the people of God would come together by his grace and join together in one family. But when we look particularly at the landscape in which we live, does the church look like that? Not really. So maybe it's kind of a difficult task. I don't know. We've been at this now. Uh, Next week actually marks four years of City Hope's existence in terms of our uh, informal worship services started July 4th weekend four years ago. Um, Have we faced any challenges in bringing this multicultural, multi-ethnic family of God together? I mean, no, right? It's been, it's been smooth sailing, right? No, we have faced challenges in this. This is hard stuff. There are real challenges to cross-cultural communities. There's historical injustices that have permeated and existed long before we got here that we have to deal with the reality of. There are also present injustices that the church has not spoken of or engaged with or been on the side of perpetrating, both historically and presently. That's a real challenge to creating a cross-cultural people. There are our own inherent biases. Like we just come born because of the fall with biases to treat people differently. All of us do. Like that's just, that's just part of the reality. And so we come with that to this place. And coming to know Jesus does not just wipe all that away. Right? Just as it doesn't wipe away all other temptations to sin or all other struggles with sin. It's not how it works. And not only do we come with biases, then we actively do sin against each other because we're selfish. We have preferences. We act out of those things. We have blind spots, right? Because we live in a certain uh, cultural context ourselves, and not just like within America or within uh, the Presbyterian church, but also within City Hope, right? Like people create culture. That's what we do. So as soon as we get together, we start creating culture. And you know, the thing about culture is it's kind of like air. You don't see it. You just breathe it in. And so we're going to breathe these things in and not recognize our own blind spots. I have blind spots that I can't see, which is why I need you to point them out to me. 
It's why we need to be open and communicate with one another because we're going to have spots in which we don't recognize what's going on and we're going to miss things. So we need to to talk about those things, to be honest about those things. There's the pressure of uh, cultural pressures that are feeding into us and pushing upon us. A cross-cultural community of believers in Jesus in this day, in this place, is an anomaly. There's just pressure against that ever working. And yet, Paul says that's the very plan of God. There's misunderstandings that exist. Also, you know what? Relationships take time. Trust is necessary in relationships, particularly in cross-cultural relationships. And you know what takes a long time to build? Trust. Particularly when you stack up historical and present injustices on top of current, just interpersonal challenges. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of challenges. And then there's language and culture challenges. Like just totally different ways of understanding things, not... Not in, in terms of like, uh, you're right, every culture has sinful aspects to their culture, but also glorious aspects to their culture, and they're just different. And so we approach things differently. Just like, hey, how do we, uh, how do we have conflict with one another? How do we engage in what is affirming to someone in one culture is demeaning to another person in a different culture? Like, that's all real stuff. So, if that's the case... Shouldn't we just pack up and try something else? This is why people have said, well, that's a great idea. We can put it in a mission statement, but we're not actually going to do anything to accomplish it because that's super hard. That's super hard. Brothers and sisters, you've got the power. This morning, I want you to find your inner peace and know that you have the power to accomplish this mission of God. What we need to accomplish this mission of God is power. It is incredibly difficult. There's lots of forces against us. We need power to accomplish this mission. Where are we going to find that power? Well, before I tell you where we're going to find it, I'm going to tell you some bad places to find some power. The first bad place to find power is in personality. The power to accomplish this mission is not in one person. Certainly not me. (laughs) Not globally. The church is not defined by global personalities like individual pastors or leaders who are going to lead the mission of God. And not even here in this place locally. If we base this mission off of me and my personality, or if we base it off of someone else here present and their personality, it is going to fail. That's not where we find the power to do this. We also don't find the power to do this merely in strategy. Right? So again, I'm not saying that like personality is bad, like, So the rest of today, I will be speaking monotone because we will not find power in personality. Now, like, that's not what I'm saying. But, like, if we're finding power in it to accomplish something, it's not going to go well. 
Same is true with strategy. I'm not saying that we shouldn't intentionally think about strategy, but if we believe that the right strategy will accomplish this plan, we're looking to the wrong place for power. We can have the best strategy and plan in the world, and it will still fall short of this plan. If we could just get the right music, the right program, the right building, the right preacher, the right... It can still fail with all of those right things in place. So the place that we're finding power cannot be in that. More broadly speaking, the church's mission is not accomplished by political power or protection on either side of the political aisle. Political engagement is necessary for neighbor love, but not for self-preservation or certainly not for securing secular power to protect the church as unnecessary source of power and a place of power in which we will find ourselves to compromise very quickly. We will compromise the mission of God because we will actually be pursuing political power. Economic power. No amount of money can accomplish the mission of God. Social or cultural power. If we could just be relevant enough to our current context, we can accomplish this mission. If, if we know who we want to reach with the gospel, if we could just bend some things in order to gain some cultural power or social power, then we can pursue this well and it will accomplish our mission. What Paul does in this text, friends, is he says, I think about this and I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirits. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Paul is praying that the triune God would be at work to empower you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together working to create inner strength and power. You have the power. Not secular or quasi-spiritual ideas of inner peace and inner strength. You don't have the power inside of you on account of you. You have the power inside of you on account of God. He says, from God's unlimited resources, the Father's unlimited resources, Do you really believe that God the Father has unlimited resources? Because we often live our Christian life as though God the Father has very limited resources. We pray for very small things, personally and as a church and globally. We don't ask for too much because we're afraid that God will disappoint us because we actually believe He has very limited resources in the world. He's losing the battle. He is not on the throne, and things are not going well for him. We're afraid to, uh, you know, I said economic power, right? It doesn't mean that there is no money required for the mission of God. Money is required for the mission of God. Lots of you in here raise money as missionaries. (laughs) It's required. But sometimes we're afraid because we believe that there are limited resources for God. 
The scriptures say that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns everything. There is not a single place on the planet in which God does not say, mine. He owns it all. And Paul is praying from his unlimited resources, I want him to empower you. I want him to pour his unlimited resources into you for the accomplishment of this mission. How is this unlimited power going to be given to you? Well, it's going to be given to you by the Spirit. By the Spirit of God. He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Remember, we just got done preaching through the book of Acts, and we saw the Spirit of God at work throughout the book of Acts. Jesus says to the disciples, Wait here in Jerusalem until I pour out the Spirit, and then go. And power is poured out. And remember what we said. The very first gift of the Holy Spirit is uh, the the experience at Pentecost of tongues. And the reason that that's really important is not because of uh, the way in which a lot of folks interpret tongues currently today, but because those were languages known by the people at the time, but those folks didn't know that language. The power was the gospels go into the world. That was the power. He said, wait on the power, and what I'm going to tell you is, the gospel is not for you, it's for everyone. And everyone gets to come into the family of God. That power was poured out on the apostles, and then the church spread like wildfire because of the power of the Spirit of God living inside the apostles and disciples. And not just the apostles and disciples, right? What about the church in Antioch, the church that sent Paul out so that the Ephesians are getting this letter because the church in Antioch existed, because they're the church that sent Paul out? How were they started? Some guys. Some folks. Just as some folks traveled to Antioch and they preached the gospel to the Gentiles. They're actually the first ones to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Just some ordinary folks. You know what? They have the Spirit of God in them The same that you do. Actually, Paul has already told us in Ephesians 1 that the Spirit of God is in us. Let me find where this is. Um, It's somewhere here. This is why I shouldn't do this, where I like pick up something and I'm like, ah, it was in there. Uh, Well, I'm just going to tell you where it's, it's in here, I promise you. Look later where he says that the Spirit of God has the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the kind of power that's in you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you by the Spirit of God in you if you believe in Jesus. And Paul says in Romans, if you believe in the Son, you have the Spirit. If you have the Son, you have the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you have the Son. You don't need to showcase it with some sort of miraculous or extraordinary gift. You have the Spirit if you believe in Jesus. He lives in you. That power is in you. Now, here's the crazy thing. What does Paul say here that he wants this power to do? This is where I think we need to really narrow in, all right? If we're going to accomplish this mission, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. I don't know if that strikes you guys as odd, but it strikes me a little bit as odd. 
This is this global, glorious mission in which the hostilities between Jew and Gentile are going to be broken down and you're going to come together in the family of God. And Paul's strategy is, I want you to know that God loves you. It's like, Paul, can we get something more maybe? Like, can we get some power to accomplish something? Like, could we throw fire down from heaven or, you know, fly or, you know, be invisible or, you know, like your standard superhero powers, which one do you want? Be invisible or fly or, like, we need some sort of power and the power you're offering me is that God loves me. Yes. The power is the love of God in Christ. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. If we're going to be complete with all the power that comes from God because of understanding God's love... What Paul means here is you're not going to have power if you don't know God's love for you. That any deficiency in power to accomplish God's mission is ultimately a deficiency in us understanding God's love for us in Christ. God's extravagant love for us in Christ. God coming in the person of His Son, in humility, coming as a baby, submitting himself to the challenges of this world, being dependent upon fallible human beings for his very life, and then having the patience to wait to start his earthly ministry for 30 years, and then having frustrating, fickle disciples follow him. He has unlimited power. The stars are placed in their spot in the sky because of him speaking them there. The very lungs of his opponents take in air because he speaks that into existence. And he's present. And he's present in that way because of his great love for you. Because he needed to be born as a man so that he could represent you on the cross and die in the place where you and I deserve to die for our sin. And then to raise from the dead so that you and I can be forgiven. This extravagant love of God is what you need to accomplish the mission of God. How does that work? How how does us understanding the love of God accomplish God's mission, the multi-ethnic church and family together, vertical and horizontal reconciliation in the world? How does that work to accomplish that? Well, if God has loved us so extravagantly, you know what we can do very easily? Repent. We can be told we're wrong. We can be told, you really hurt me. And I can say, I'm sorry. Because Jesus loves me. 
I can know that I'm fully accepted by God, meaning I can show up in a place and risk acceptance by others because I'm already fully accepted by God. To make a family like this work, you're going to have to risk acceptance. Love is risky. It's hard. It's going to hurt. How do we do that? How do we have the resources for that? By knowing that Jesus loves you. By knowing the depth and the height and the width and the length of his love. By having our roots go down deep into his love. We can have the confidence to walk against all cultural and church culture pressures to not accomplish God's mission. Because we got the power of God in us. The king of the universe loves me. What can man do to me? The king of the universe has moved heaven and earth so that you and I would be accepted by him and brought into his family. What can anyone else do to us? The answer is nothing. Nothing. I can love people sacrificially because I know I'm loved. I'm not going to be able to love people sacrificially if I don't know I'm fully loved. I'm always going to hedge my bets. I'm always going to love just a little bit less than I should because I'm afraid of being hurt. But if Jesus is pouring into me all of his love, I can risk being hurt in loving someone else. I can risk sacrifice in a cross-cultural community. The mission of God requires self-sacrificing love. And that will only come when knowing the depths of Jesus' love for us. If I know I'm fully loved, I don't have to fight to receive that love from others. Instead, I can freely love and serve. If we're going to be a cross-cultural, multi-ethnic community, we have to, it it just requires dying to self. It requires self-sacrifice, which requires the love of Christ. So the more depth we have there, the more power we have for mission. The mission of God is accomplished by the people of God knowing the love of God by the Spirit of God. It's the only way it can happen. Now, it's going to take a long time. We have to be patient. It says, let your roots grow down deep. I do not know anything about planting, but my wife is really good at it. Our house is turning into like a, a garden, in, or a, um, what is it, a greenhouse? Yeah. There's just like plants multiplying everywhere. And it takes a long time to dig those roots in. And she's really good at caring for them and knowing if I care for the roots, the plant will eventually come. She's really good at caring for those. That's what it takes for us to know God's love. Caring about the deep roots, not the fruit. It also speaks about knowing how long, how wide, how high, and how deep. That's a long time exploring. We are going to spend a lifetime exploring the love of God for us. And it's okay to spend a lifetime exploring the love of God for us. The mission of God is not like trying to ride a rocket to the moon, which needs an immense power in one short burst. It's, the mission of God is more like trying to rotate the earth on its axis. 
which is completely impossible for you, and effortless for God. Slow in the moment, but actually covering long distances. The moon is uh, 238,000 miles away. That distance is traveled by the earth, rotating around its axis in nine days. Every nine days, the earth is traveling that distance, right, as we spin around. Something that you don't even see. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You plant it, it's the smallest seed, and eventually it becomes this giant tree. How do seeds turn into trees? Generations. Why do you think we care and pray for our children's ministry and care about those things? Generations. This mission is not accomplished by us. If City Hope is going to do what we have dreamed and prayed for, all of us will be long gone and dead before it happens. Or Jesus will have returned. And then it will be over and it will be awesome. We pray for that one. Uh, It's a little less morbid. But the reality is, like, our plan is not for, like, what does next year look like? I care far more that all of you walk with Jesus 50 years from now and that we are accomplishing this mission 50 years from now than I care about what tomorrow looks like. We need long-term growth. We need long-term pushing into the love of God for us. It's okay that it's going to take a long time because we have the Father who has unlimited resources. You don't do anything to let the earth spin, do you? You just hang on for the ride. The mission of God is like hanging on for the ride. The love of God has been poured out for you. All of the power necessary is in you already by the Spirit of God. That's why Paul ends this by saying, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us, right? Through his love being known by you in you to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more. How many times have you thought, man, I don't know that going to church on Sunday morning or going to small group or having that phone call or that conversation with that friend, I don't think it's going to go anywhere or do anything. God is at work infinitely more than you could ask or imagine in all of those things. Every time you read your Bible, God is at work in infinitely more ways than you could ask or imagine. Every time you have a conversation with someone about Christ's love for them, every time you show up and are a good news person in a bad news world, every time you speak for justice, every time you step into a place to see the kingdom expand, every single time, God is at work infinitely more than you could ask or imagine. So that glory would be to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. The love of God is like gravity for the Christian. It's so effortless it can be taken for granted or ignored. And you need to be reminded of it. The reason the earth spins, right? I think, gravity. I'm trying to remember my physics lessons. The way in which we effortlessly walk through the Christian life is the love of God. It's the animating force for your life. It's really easy to take for granted. 
or to ignore or to be complacent with. Don't do that. Don't do that. Dig deep into it because we have the power of God to accomplish the mission of God in the love of God for us. The power of God for the mission of God is the people of God knowing the love of God by the Spirit of God. So let's know the love of God by His Spirit and be launched into mission. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you knowing that we need you. We have admitted many times this morning that we cannot do this on our own. We have no power to accomplish this. We have no power. We are like hanging onto the earth, trying to push it in a direction to make it spin. And yet, Lord, you have all the power. So as Paul prays, Lord, I pray that you would pour out from your unlimited resources your power on these people so that they would know your love. Jesus, would you do that for your glory, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.